Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and my fellow video essayist, Tom Vanderlinden from Like Stories of Old, that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week, we're talking about Jordan Peele's Nope. Tom, why is this a movie that you wanted to cover on the podcast? I think Jordan Peele has become a bit of a household name at this point. Like, that's... He is one of the, not of the few, there's plenty of directors who are worth seeking out, but he has become like, or he's increasingly becoming a brand almost. Yeah. Which has like good sides to it and maybe some disadvantages, at least for him, but we'll get into that maybe. I just saw it for the first time last week. I didn't catch it in theater because I was on holiday. I just got back now, you too, and so uh, it's been a while since we've recorded an episode, but still a bit jet lagged but uh, luckily we pre-recorded some so hopefully you won't um, probably won't notice the difference but for us it's been a while <laughs> there won't be too much of a gap but yeah, yeah. Well, this is the first time we're talking in a, a little over a month so. uh-huh. but yeah anyways yeah i got back from a holiday i had a lot of catching up to do a lot of great films lots of new exciting television as well but yeah nope was one that i was really looking forward to and it didn't disappoint i think it was a very spectacular movie and that's i think one of the main themes of it also like the relation between humans and spectacle and it gets more complicated than that but we'll get into it i thought it was a big step up in terms of just scale and production value compared to his previous films which i think is worth uh, or that's interesting to talk about he came out like very strong out of the gate with get out and so it's been interesting to kind of follow his evolution, see what he's up to now, where he's going, maybe what he wants to do. And just looking at Nope as in a, I think it's a bit unfair to keep comparing like every new movie he makes to Get Out, but still you can't really get around to having certain expectations when someone makes these movies that are so layered with like social and political layers and all kinds of symbolism and little details and connections that are worth investigating. And so, yeah, I think... Even after a first viewing of Nope, it's clear there's also plenty to dig into here. So yeah, I think you've seen it twice now, right? Yes. Yeah, I saw it in theaters and Mm -hmm. then I just rewatched it for this. How was the second viewing compared to the first one for you? It's a good movie to watch again. In some ways, Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's some of the suspense when you know what's coming drops out a little bit, but it held my interest, I think, just as well the second time in spite of that. There's a lot of little Mm -hmm. details and connections in this that we'll get into some of that, but watching it a second time brings a lot of that to the surface, which is really Mm -hmm. great. So it makes for a rich experience. It feels like a bit of a puzzle or, yeah, there's layers here, like you said, I I definitely walked away from the first experience being like, I'm going to need to see this again to kind Mm -hmm. of be able to even really digest it. I didn't really know how to feel about it the first time. I enjoyed the experience a lot, but I was like, I don't know. What is this about? What do Mm -hmm. you know? And a lot of that started, I think the second viewing helped solidify a lot of the kind of disparate thoughts I was having about it, watching it through the first time. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot to discuss here. I think you pointed out rightly that the inevitable comparison to his earlier work, especially Get Out, kind of comes to the surface. Like he's one of the few people who's kind of carving for a, a space for himself as like an auteur in a more populist, mm-hmm. like kind of blockbuster space. Like this movie was a bigger event that a lot of people went to see. It's not just like, you know, a little art house 
mm-hmm. auteur film. So yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by the trajectory of his career. I think for me, this is definitely a step in an interesting direction. I loved the visual element of it, the cinematography. I think some of his direction here with like, which was, as, as you said, strong coming out of the gate, but some of the way mm-hmm. he's allowing certain scenes or sequences to like unfold in this movie were very satisfying to me. So yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting to kind of try to get under underneath yeah. this film and start poking around and, and see yeah, what's, definitely. what's going on in there. Yeah, because I, I feel like I'm still in that first phase you mentioned where I enjoyed it, but not everything has yet come together yeah. quite completely. And uh, because of that, I think after a first viewing, you feel there were some moments where I felt like it was dragging or like going in some directions that didn't feel as purposeful, but I can imagine that on the second viewing, you can see the connections more clearly. Like there's some things that I didn't realize at first, like there was a lot of confusions about some scenes that didn't connect together until I thought about it again or saw something about it on the internet, like a few days later. Like a small example is just, I think when Stephen Young characters is doing his show, there's this woman in the audience with like this this disfigured face and it's kind of used as a horror element maybe but I, I didn't understand the point of it until later i realized uh, i'm not sure if this is a spoiler i guess not really but that was the woman who was attacked by the chimpanzee in the prologue not sure how i felt about that being used as a sort of shock or horror moment i feel like a lot of people that have like disfigurements or something like that they are kind of tired of being used for for tropes like that but just in sticking to the storytelling like that's a connection that kind of went over my head at first and then i didn't make until like days later and i'm sure there's like plenty of other details like that that i'm still missing out on but yeah there's a lot of like rhyming almost or Mm. like you know thematic interconnections between things I'll say, and I'm still speaking vaguely at this point, I guess we haven't really gotten into spoilers, but inevitably Mm. we'll have to at some point, but still staying in this vague area, like I'll say coming away from it the second time, I still don't feel like everything clicked together and I'm like, oh, I get this movie. There's a unified singular commentary Mm. here or like metaphor at the core that I can see it all now. I don't necessarily think that's the case with this movie. And I think that's maybe tripping some people up or I'm seeing a lot of debate about, you know, what is this really Mm -hmm. about? I think the commentary in this movie, whereas I haven't actually seen Us, so I can't comment on that one, but with Get Out is pretty, like, it's obvious on the surface what the movie is commenting on and what it's about. You know, there's layers there. It's not like an overly simple movie, but you you get it. You're like, it's about this one thing. This movie is a lot more opaque Mm -hmm. and I think complicated, but also not like it feels like a puzzle maybe at first that you're supposed to put together. But I don't necessarily think it it ends up being that kind of movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. Watching it the second time, I was thinking a lot more of something like The Shining, where there's just these elements that are kind of horrifying that you're not really maybe sure. Exa- I know there's a lot of people who think that there's like a secret message in that movie too. Hmm. But my my take is more that like it's about this experience and the the fact that there's not necessarily like a the connecting logic through all of it is much more visceral than mm-hmm. it is like intellectual, like where there's like, oh, there's this one yeah. central thing or theme. 
But that doesn't mean it doesn't have something to say. I think there's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. that it's it's commenting at. I just don't think there's one like big like summary paragraph that you could make and be like, mm -hmm. it's about X. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the disadvantage that I was talking about earlier with, you see yes, it a lot yeah. with like science fiction directors who came out with this really tight and precise first movie and then went on to do bigger stuff and they inevitably became more like sparse and or less in, more imprecise in terms of like having everything fit together in this neatly budgeted package almost or like restrained package because the budget or the means that they had in the time wouldn't simply wouldn't allow for anything else and so right. that doesn't necessarily mean that movies are the later movies are lesser because of it but it is sort of a consequence i think with a lot of those trajectories of uh, such filmmakers but yeah as you said i think it nope is more of a movie that touches on like vaguely or loosely connected uh, thematic elements but then it, it's not a allegory or something that makes right. this one one-to-one -one connection with like oh this means that that means that this is the like social commentary that is at the at the heart of it and there's multiple things that we can get into and yeah i only saw the first trailer and so i didn't really know what what the movie was about before i went in how would you describe just briefly like the plot of the movie or the premise or what what is this movie about yeah so there's a, a family the haywoods um, mm -hmm. and the movie kind of opens with this introduction i think it's in the trailer too that talks about the very first moving image that was the very first piece of film that was made mm -hmm. uh, it featured a black horse jockey riding a horse. And so the Haywoods own this ranch. They're descendants of that black horse jockey. He was their great, great, great grandfather or something like that. They have horses that are used in films. And so it's the father and then a son and I guess multiple sisters. You only ever see one of them, but there's other children who are referenced. So the movie kind of starts with there's this ranch and there's weird stuff happening. We don't really know what, but something weird happens. The dad dies. And so it's mm -hmm. it's just the son, OJ, left kind of taking care of the horses on this ranch and trying to get work in Hollywood. But he's struggling to like maintain, you know, a presence in Hollywood working with these horses. Also, his sister is kind of helping him out. Yep. And six months after his dad dies, more weird stuff starts to happen. The dad also dies in this really weird, Strange coincidental way, yes. accident. Yeah. Yeah. They say like a quarter falls out of the sky, a bunch of stuff falls out of the sky and a quarter mm -hmm. like flies through his eye, into his eye and kills him. And they say it's like stuff fell out of an airplane or something. But mm -hmm. also an element that I should point out as a part of the setup is before we even get to any of that, there is a prologue, which you already kind of briefly alluded to, mm -hmm. where there's like a chimpanzee on a soundstage for like a sitcom that's attacking, like has gone on some kind of rampage. And there's this shot at the beginning, like looking out towards this chimpanzee who's like attacking somebody who's laying on the ground that you can't really see. And there's a shoe on the floor just kind of like balanced mm -hmm. perfectly upright on its end in a way that seems very like odd and mysterious so at the beginning we're introduced to a lot of imagery that is very like interesting there's like a key stuck in like the rear of the horse there's like the x-rays with the quarter in the skull there's all this stuff he kind of gets off on a an interesting foot i think in terms of just like 
presenting imagery that is very like striking. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it kind of begins to unfold into maybe a more traditional, like there's something in the sky causing this weird mm -hmm. stuff. Maybe it's a UFO and we're going to try to capture this on film. And that's kind of how yeah, the movie, like the very spoiler free description. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there more that you think we can say about this without getting into spoiler territory or should we go ahead and maybe dive into that that part of it and Yeah, I think just the main the actual plot line I think quickly becomes that the Haywoods so they think there's an UFO or some kind of strange presence and they yeah. want to get the the so-called money shot of it and right. maybe in that way reclaim some fame or not just fame but just uh, re-establish themselves both financially as well as just in terms of legacy. That's maybe something for later, but there's a connection there also with the way, as you said, their great-great-great-grandfather, the first black man or the first man in general ever to be filmed, but who wasn't like credited for it. So they yeah. want to reclaim some of that maybe prestige. I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it, but or some kind of ownership over capturing something that's unique or possibly groundbreaking in terms of like proving extraterrestrial life. Yeah. Yeah. The first trailer didn't really reveal the UFO element that heavily. I mean, there was kind of like maybe like some things in the sky, but it was pretty much just like, here's a bunch of weird stuff. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't watching it for the first time. I wasn't exactly expecting it to like go in that direction because that ends up being kind of like the, the meat of the film. Mm -hmm. It is like a UFO movie at the end of the day. And so I kind of enjoyed that because it's been a while since I've watched a yeah, movie yeah. like that. And it it leans on some of the tropes of that that style of film that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I love the way it used the location of the ranch and just the space in that valley, the sound traveling through that valley. Sound plays an incredibly huge role in this film. I already talked about how like I think this is the best cinematography we've seen out of a Jordan Peele film. But the sound design also is just like amazing, a huge part of what makes so many of these moments like impactful and really interesting to me is how it sounds. And so I really enjoyed all of that. Any more comments? Yeah, it's, in terms of atmosphere, it reminded me a lot of uh, Signs from M. Night Shyamalan, which is also a movie that we might be covering Soon Coming enough. Soon, yeah. I wasn't quite expecting it to feel that way. It was very... There's a similar setup between the two movies where the, there is some kind of strange presence and we are restricted to the perspective of like a single family or, an evil, yeah. or in any ways a specific group of people. It takes place on like this isolated house, this in both cases, uh, coincidentally, like a wooden, like a wooden freestanding house. And I wouldn't say nope is as tight as sciences but there's also Stephen Yeun's character which adds a bit of like an additional element that science uh, doesn't really have yeah thematically also they're not quite the same but uh, just in terms of atmosphere i think there's a lot of interesting connections between those movies even though thematically they are doing something very different although i do think there's one piece of dialogue from science that also kind of carries over into this movie, which is about the way we look at random chance and coincidences. And I like the question that's posed in Nope, where the main character asks if there is such a thing as a bad miracle, which he, as he explains, we don't really have a word for. And I think that to me was something really interesting because when we talk about 
bad luck or, or like a miraculous event that affects us negatively, we are more in, likely to see it as extremely bad luck, like a quarter yeah. falls from an airplane and hits your dad in the eye. Like that's just, that's just the worst kind bad of luck. luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But when we talk about the same kind of odds in when they come out to our favor, that's we talk about miracles. We talk about something beautiful that ha has happened. And there's the implication there that that means a miracle often implies some kind of meaning, like some kind of purposeful right. chain of events that affected us in some positive way. But it's interesting that we, or at least that's what the movie seems to argue, that we don't really talk about that in terms of bad luck. And yeah, I yeah. think that that's also kind of the starting point of the movie and maybe also for us just dig a little deeper into it yeah that kind of connects to the piece of text that opens the film is a quote from the old testament nahum 3 6 mm -hmm. which is something like i will cast abominable filth upon you make you vile and make you a spectacle that whole chapter of nahum is like a prophecy of like doom against the wicked like city of nineveh in the story there's a sense there with that's kind of signified by that quotation too of that idea of like agency given to these bad miracles that are happening where it's it's not just chance or luck it's some force there like causing a lot of this so but yeah there are a lot of layers here and i think we're kind of moving into territory where we're going to have to spoil things getting into the deeper stuff so if you haven't watched it yet come back later but I think like maybe the easiest way to go about this would just be to like pull on some of those threads and identify the little pieces that we both each saw in them. And mm -hmm. then maybe we can talk about how those things might fit together and if they do. Yeah. And go from there. So on your first watch, did you have an impression of like a couple themes or a main theme? Like what is this yeah. about or what what's going on here? Things that like really stuck out to you? Yeah, I think the my first impression was as I was watching it, it there's a strong connection with our relation to animals. Um, there's the opening yes. with the chimpanzee, there's the horses. Yeah. And then now that we're in spoiler territory, later it is revealed that the UFO is also an animal. It's not yeah. something extraterrestrial or maybe, but at least it's, yeah, it's an organism. It's not like aliens inside a ship. It itself is yeah. like an organism of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first thing that caught my interest, especially the way the chimp rampaged on that first like sitcom. And there's a lot of, yeah, it was besides just being a strong visual and the thing with the shoe, which also was really striking, but which to me came back to that sense of just like you have this scene of terror and then there's this little miracle inside of yeah. it like not a miracle in the sense like this is something beautiful but just in the sense of like what are the odds of that happening which yeah. i thought was quite interesting and yeah i think the thing with animals is that there's obviously a relation between us that where we feel like we can control them and use them to our purposes but and there's also a sense of danger there and unpredictability we see it also in that that's the first scene or one of the first scenes where OJ takes the horse to a movie set and then startle the horse with by showing it its yeah. reflection and it kicks back and it doesn't really hurt anyone at that point. But there is a sense of, okay, if we are careless with these creatures, then bad stuff might happen. And that I don't think the movie ends up being a real commentary on animals specifically, but I think more what it felt more like that he used animals to communicate something about more as a metaphor, like to communicate something about maybe the nature of spectacle and the way 
Because there's just something exciting also about animals, like a chimpanzee on a, a sitcom, like that's exciting. And any like the whole reason we go to zoos or go into nature and get excited when we spot some kind of wild animal, there's just there is something exciting about seeing other living creatures that aren't humans, also specifically because they don't act like us, maybe, and just because they are alien to us and unpredictable and sometimes funny and there's a like a flip side to it as well where they can also be frightening in their unpredictability sometimes even in their capacity for like uh, actual dangerous stuff like obviously like a, a squirrel doesn't have the same danger factor as spotting a wild uh, moose or something or a bear right <laughs> i think that's for me, the most immediate connection that the movie is making is that we are drawn to a certain kind of spectacle that can be exciting as well as harmful. And there are rules of engagements, so to say, that the movie explores, yeah. some of which are better than others. I think the different characters clearly have different approaches that signify this. But yeah, I think that's was my first take, at least on first watching. Yeah. There's a lot of threads there. I think that's definitely one of the themes that mm -hmm. kind of rhymes throughout where you you have these, the chimpanzee is set off by these popping balloons. So there's this idea of, you know, an uncontrollability or like things being startled and the alien creature then or whatever is, is attracted to sound. OJ says towards the end, like, I don't think it eats you if you don't look it in the eye. So there's this whole element of like not looking at it, not kind of making eye contact with it, which mirrors like the horse at the beginning being spooked by seeing its own image or like looking at the horse. And all of this kind of connects to, I think, an idea it's exploring a little bit, which is like our attachment to spectacle, but also horror and this mm. sense of like wanting to look at this thing, but not really having a power if you don't look at it. Like that's kind of a dynamic that horrific images have yeah. which is like if you just don't look at it the horrific image itself does not really have a specific power over you but yet you are so drawn to yeah. like look There's at a it temptation there and but if yes. you look at it that's when it gets you <laughs> <laughs> then it gets you so i think that for me was the big central theme that I think it's trying to get at. I don't like, I think calling it a commentary is interesting because then it implies that there's like a specific statement being made or like some kind mm -hmm. of thesis being presented. And to me, it was more like about the feeling of what it's like to be in this world and our relationship to certain like images or horrific images mm -hmm. or scary things or things that we don't understand or can't control or tame. And so like the movie is kind of exploring that in a lot of different ways. I love the way eventually the presence of the cameras hmm. become very important, but there's yeah. cameras present in both of these events, like the Gordy incident, the chimp in the studio, there's like cameras filming it. Yeah, there's definitely this meta aspect about filmmaking and it also vaguely reminded me of or at least thematically of gladiator which we discussed on yes. the beyond the screenplay podcast not too long ago and yeah. the way we are drawn to spectacle in this case also specifically as you mentioned like horror and like violence and maybe even just like gory images and stuff i think even in that first prologue with the chimp attacking the people there's also a kind of almost a sensation of you 
want to because your like perspective you is sort more. of covered and it feels like it's almost yeah. titillating you a little bit in the sense that you do want to see more like you want to see what this chimp did exactly or what happened and there's it, it's kind of drawing on your whatever the opposite of your better angels is and <laughs> yeah and later it turns out that's also the whole prologue is from the point of view of uh, Stephen Young's character which I thought it was a bit strange at first because in the present day story he feels like a minor character and yet he does get the big opening flashback scene and he does have the great like backstory that the, the actual main characters seem to be missing out on a little bit but it does I think that one does connect together really well because yeah he is the one who survives the chimpanzee attack and even does like almost does like a little fist bump with the chimpanzee which makes him believe as an adult that maybe he can control whatever like the chimpanzee represents he can control the spectacle the danger yeah. the unpredictability is his sort of to harness and that just that's what you see when it is revealed later that he's been doing these shows where he feeds horses to the alien uh, i'm not sure how they yeah. ended up calling it they gave it a name like jean jacket that's the one yeah so he has this relation to that creature where he immediately believes he can exploit it to some extent and obviously he pays the price for it when this sort of grandiosity is met with the actual power of that creature and he gets ingested and was was this really unsettling scene where you can see him and a bunch of other people moving through the like the digestive system of that yeah, yeah. Uh, which i thought was also a really kind of subversive because you when you see something like that you expect them to come out or they that come out in maybe some secret room or like come out into some sort of space or there's there's going to be some sort of resolution to that but then it turns out it's just they get swallowed they we see them move into the digestive system and that's it yeah yeah which was even more unnerving to think about that they really went out like kicking and screaming and with these cries of horror and pain and uh, yeah that one <laughs> did get to me a little bit that i think is is one of the most like you know and that's the thing we're talking about a horror movie and so like one of the one of the goals of the movie is to like at least be a little horrifying or unsettling it achieves that at a few places where genuinely i think inventive like imagery here which is kind of a hard thing to do i mean horror is a big genre it's huge mm -hmm. a lot of the potential for just like being scary has kind of been tapped and you can you can sense this when i when we went to see this in theaters i sat through all the trailers there was like 30 minutes of trailers mm -hmm. and it was all like horror it was mostly horror trailers mm -hmm. and it's a lot of just the same imagery over and over and over again just like intensified as much as possible to try to pump up this scary this you know whatever horror is trying to achieve and a lot of it doesn't do much for me it's cool to see genuinely like original imagery here mm -hmm. and evocative ideas and atmosphere that sense of like i love that the creature itself doesn't really seem to make much sound maybe a little bit at the end it's mostly silent when it's flying around but then there's this element of it's sucking things up into it and yeah. you hear those things, whether it's the horse screaming, which you at first kind of think is the sound of the UFO. But then sort of I later realized like the first time you see it suck up the horse and then fly around, you're actually hearing the horse, the sound the horse is making oh, yeah. as it's zipping around. 
And then you hear that later too with like all the people up in up in there screaming and stuff as this mm-hmm. creature is flying through the sky. And that was genuinely probably the most yeah. unsettling part of the movie, I think. That and the whole sequence from the POV of Stephen Young's character, mm-hmm. I also I also found that to be really unsettling Mm -hmm. largely because he does something really well in this movie for most of it which is he has a lot of restraint in terms of what he's actually showing you which is very interesting for a movie that's about basically the spectacle of like horror but for a long time you don't see the creature at all or you just catch like little glimpses of it you only really start to see it once they start to actually capture it on camera a little bit yeah towards the end that sequence Mm -hmm. where gordy is kind of rampaging i think is is especially evocative because it has a very restricted point of view and -hmm. you can't actually really see what's going on which one little easter egg that i realized this time about that sequence they Mm -hmm. so steven young has that little room with all the stuff in it from oh yeah the memorabilia sort of yes And he has a like a photo of him and Gordy fist bumping. And he's mm-hmm. like, he says, that's the first exploding fist bump, which is like this move that people do where, you know, they fist bump and they're like, Phew, yeah. You know. <laughs> so he's saying, you know, we invented that. That's the first exploding fist bump in that scene. Then later, when they're going into fist bump, they're just about to fist bump and Gordy's head explodes. Hmm. like right as their fists are about to touch yeah. because he gets shot by, you know, on the police or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whatever. But it's an actual exploding fist bump, mm-hmm. which I thought was funny. I didn't <laughs> yeah. catch that till the second time. I thought it was kind of weird how he didn't seem traumatized at all by the whole event. It felt like he was talking about someone else's memory. I didn't feel like he was the one who went through that that might be part of his uh, his kind of the way he came out of it like he felt like he came out of it victorious in some sort of some way but yeah i was actually going to talk about that because that's Mm -hmm. an interesting element of it to me is this that kind of sets off this theme of not just our relationship to spectacle but like our relationship to trauma and how we process horror horrifying things Mm. and he's a very interesting case to me because he has this event and when you watch that when you see him as a kid experiencing that event he looks you know horrified traumatized but then you're right later on it's like no big deal mm-hmm. he has this room full of like it has the shoe and it has all this stuff and that that leans into that same element that you're talking about where he's he's commodified it he's taken this event and he's transformed it into something he can sell to other people and profit off of the fascination that other people have with this horrifying incident. And even when he talks about it, they are like, ask him what the Haywoods are up there. They ask him what really happened. And he doesn't tell them like he Mm -hmm. was there. He saw it as we see, but he doesn't tell them that he's like, have you seen the SNL sketch? Oh yeah. And he talks about the person who performed Gordy. And he says something like, you know, they were killing on stage, like talking about them being funny mm-hmm. but it, like it's almost like he's processing and in that moment processing or trying to communicate his experience of the horror or his trauma through like subsequent images of it and and trying to control it in that way instead of like actually reliving or you know interacting with the mm-hmm. the event itself so 
I don't really know what that's saying, but I think there's something interesting yeah. there about like how we relate to to horror and trauma. Yeah, I'm trying to think of if if he's referring to something specific with that whole character and that whole theme of, I guess we can call it the commodification of trauma. I'm not sure if that's, yeah. if I can think of any examples of that explicitly happening in the real world or in other pieces of media or maybe reality TV or something like that, which I don't watch enough of right. to really comment upon. But To me, the obvious one that comes to mind, and I don't want to speak mm -hmm. out of school. I'm not Jordan Peele. I don't know what he's trying to communicate with this. This isn't my trauma to really mm -hmm. talk about. But from I have to imagine from his perspective as a black person who has made horror films that in a sense capitalizes on like Get Out is a movie that turns the horror of the black experience into mm -hmm. something that people then consume and look at because that movie as a commercial success. It's like yeah, it yeah. has things to say and there's some value there you, you would have to imagine. But I would also have to imagine there's got to be some tension felt there of like, yeah. what does it mean to be turning this into something that then is consumed mm -hmm. by people as a form of entertainment or, you know, as something that I then as a filmmaker make mm -hmm. make money off of. I'm not saying he shouldn't do it. I'm just saying like, yeah, I think yeah, he yeah. might be grappling with some of those feelings that mm -hmm. might exist related to it. And maybe that element of it isn't the biggest thing. It might just be about making horror yeah. entertaining general, to yeah. begin with in general. Yeah, because it's interesting because it's, it, it's distinctive to me because you can make maybe a general argument about capitalism commodifies everything, but it's right. specifically like often with those kind of analysis or just perspectives there's like maybe some other party that exploits a marginalized agent right. whereas in this movie like yun yun is commodifying his own trauma he still he is exploiting his own trauma or but he retains ownership over it he's not yes compelled to do it by another like a larger system or some other party like at least not explicitly or directly it clearly seems like this is his sort of business on the side it's not even his main thing really because yeah. he mentions like the room is secret and it's only for very private guests who pay like a lot of money but aside from that he just runs his regular business so it really seems like it's his own personal choice and he made out of his own agency and it's not like oh, here's the the white people coming to exp oppress and right, exploit yes. like the marginalized people or so, something like that. That's something different. That That's why I was thinking of why it was so distinctive and what that relates to. But yeah, I think you might be on a good track there. But, you know, there's also it also just brings to mind like the presence of horrifying imagery that has been prevalent in the media, especially in the United States, mm -hmm. involve like traumatic violence you know, like visual capturing of traumatic, violent acts against black people. I don't know that it has a like a specific thing it's trying to say about that. There's something unsettling about the tension between like the positive role that those kinds of images can play in provoking change, but then also mm -hmm. the horror of those kinds of images being so prevalent and available and like part of our everyday life i think that's some of what this movie is getting at for me i think that's where 
the fact that it doesn't feel like it has a very clear, like, this is bad or this is good is great because I think in trying to explore some of those ideas, it's less like trying to condemn like, oh, if you have this trauma in your past, you you should not commodify it into anything or mm -hmm. it's not making this one specific point. It's more just exploring like the unsettling nature of being in that kind of space feels like where, you know, we have this lurid attraction to horror and traumatic images there's interest in them and in some way they might be good and but in other ways mm -hmm. we have a very interesting relationship to those things as humans i think that's what what this movie in a, in a sense is is trying to explore there's a scene towards the end where they're really like gathering everything together and they're they're gonna like try to document this they have this whole plan and angel he's like kind of chickening out a little oh, bit yeah. or like he's worried and he i really like this character yeah I did, <laughs> I did too he was like what we're gonna document it's gonna do some good is the question he asked and he's worried about this this idea of like is this for a greater good is this gonna accomplish anything i don't know exactly where the movie's going with it yeah. but it's definitely in those waters yeah there's just one more thought i had about the Stephen Young's character and the way he commodified his trauma. There might also be an element to that that's just general coping mechanism. Like I can imagine it's, yeah. it feels similar to someone like, let's say an older person who had an accident in his youth and has was left with this nasty scar. And at first it might have been, might have been traumatizing and scary, but now it's become like this story that he tells his friends and they all want to see the, the nasty looking scar or something like that and he, he kind of it, it becomes a story like a kind of a bar story or whatever like it takes the initial sting out of it a little bit and turns it into something that is both exciting as while still obviously leaving like a literal scar like it's still something that yeah. has impacted you and isn't going away there's definitely a role that like narrativization of events mm -hmm our experience or in our memory plays in like coping mm -hmm. with those things. Yeah. Going back to something you brought up at the beginning, which is often related to imbuing those things with a sense of meaning. Like mm -hmm. if this was meaningful, if there was some kind of purpose to this, like this is what made me into the person I am today. If there was some kind of purpose in that event, we can cope with it better or or handle it better sometimes. Yeah. Or try or that's a way we try to. I don't know if it actually works, but Yeah. Yeah, I think that that I'm I'm trying to think of to what extent it connects to all the other parts of the movie, because that's really just the aspect of his character looking back in like in his relation to the past. Yeah. But I'm not sure if it quite fits as well to the way he relates to the future or like the way he brings it carries that over into his new relation with the with Jean Jacket with the alien creature because that's right. where it becomes slightly different in the sense that he establishes a relation there that is harmful that isn't the same as coping with trauma to make it lesser and I don't know it, it, it kind of flips around there where he when he uses that same tactic on some like a present danger it becomes more harmful than when it relates to one in his past and right. so i'm trying to think of how how does that work out i'm not sure what's exactly going on with his character there mm -hmm. is he kind of just making the same mistake and not realizing he yeah. has a stage uh, and an audience mm -hmm. and an animal that he's trying to like use as spectacle 
and that goes wrong and Mm -hmm. it goes on a rampage and kills everybody. That's a repeat of, you know, a larger scale repeat of what happens with Gordy in the show. So does he realize that's what's happening? Well, obviously he he doesn't think it's going to go wrong again. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think he's an interesting character that gets sucked up into (laughs) Jean Jacket. I think, yeah, he, he feels like the more complicated one of the bunch. Because when the the main character, we haven't even talked about him much, OJ, his character arc seems pretty clear. Like he's someone who more is more respectful of the animals and right. by extension, more respectful of what they stand for, the spectacle, the danger of spectacle. He, he knows he needs to treat it with some degree of responsibility, with some degree of care. Yeah. And he all therefore ends up being the one who quote-unquote, like, defeats the evil creature by respecting his own, um, how do I say this? He, he kind of, he respects it as the threat that it is and tries to figure out, he, he knows that he's in a relation with something or he is, he is in an in interaction with something that he doesn't understand and that he needs to figure out the rules to it, like, or he needs to figure out yeah. the rules of engagement, whereas Jan's character is more, he feels like he has it already figured out based on past experiences, but those do not protect him in the present, this which scenario. I think if you want to yeah. find some kind of social commentary there, that it might be that like certain events in the past do not secure you for similar threats in the present and maybe if you want to look at it like uh, Jordan Peele often takes a racial social political lens specifically that maybe that there might be something there about the way like black people were treated in the past and they obviously faced oppression and hardships but it's not the same situation as they're facing now like sort of to say like the beast they are again up against is different it's unfamiliar it's and they need to figure out like a new like a new strategy or just as i said a new set of rules of engagement that might be something that's there but yeah yeah, yeah. i'm I'm not american i'm not close enough to those issues to comment on it further maybe but reading the text like that there seems to be some right subtext there that yeah uh, might be relevant that subtext definitely informs whatever this movie is about. I'm not inside that experience, so I don't think I have enough familiarity with it to really tease out exactly what he's getting at if he if he does mm-hmm. have something here. But I do think there's an allusions towards being able to to deal with these kind of events and this kind of horror and these kind of images in a more productive way. There's a scene like after Jean Jacket deposits all the ground up hamburger people and mm-hmm. and metal onto the house in that very horrifying scene. That's one of my favorite scenes. The scene where he's in the truck, yeah. OJ is in the truck, and you, the camera just stays inside with him, and you see the rain like stop and like drift over, mm-hmm. and then you realize like the monster is directly above. It's such an effective way of like you know, holding back visually, not showing too much, not doing too much, but just creating this like sense of atmosphere and horror. And then Mm -hmm. he cracks the door open a little bit and like looks up that that whole sequence, I think was like very well constructed. But after all of that happens, Mm -hmm. they go and they're sitting in a restaurant and OJ wants to talk about like the monster and what happened and the rules of what's going on. 
his sister and Angel are a little bit, they're like, we don't want to talk about this. They don't want to engage with Mm -hmm. what's happening. And that is a theme kind of throughout the movie. Like nobody wants to talk about the specific thing itself. Stephen Young's character, Ricky, he'll talk about like details around the event, but he doesn't want to talk about the actual thing. Mm-hmm. The father dies at the beginning and then they like almost never talk about it. Yeah, There's this like sense of like wanting to capture very explicitly the monster, but also like not wanting to talk about the monster. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that to me that I don't know what that means, but there's something about about that to me that like resonated with me in a very visceral way that felt familiar to Mm -hmm. how we at least in America often engage with like horrifying things that we see in the media where it's we want to talk around them they're very explicitly in front of them or we try to capture them as clearly as possible but then there's this sense of like wanting to also distance ourselves from that Mm -hmm. and not actually want to engage with it and talk about it and try to understand it and try to figure out how to interact with it or defeat it or all of these things. There's a very complicated like feeling that he's capturing there somehow Mm -hmm. that's hard to like, you know, make explicit in exposition like we're trying to do now. But it definitely like resonated with me Mm -hmm. on a very like, gut level yeah i'm not sure if this is the best comparison but it might or at least to me it feels like you're talking about also like things like school shootings in the way they because they happen right. so frequently it feels like you're moving from yeah. the spectacle to the spectacle and then every time there will be the outrage and the just the dynamics of the spectacle of the event not just spectacle in the sense that it's entertaining but spectacle in the sense that it's titillating or exhilarating in some you want to like look in the same way when the monster is mm-hmm. like coming at you and there's people screaming inside of it yeah the the characters are like drawn to look mm-hmm. at it it's that same but also yeah and something that just gives rise to genuine emotions it, it's something that you yes. want to be like like not involved with but you want to connect to it somehow but also you you wish it didn't happen obviously to me at least as an outsider as someone who lives in a country where school shootings don't really happen it feels like there's there's this sort of spikes of retention when there's a school shooting then i see twitter blow up and then a few weeks later it kind of dies down and then there's something else that happens and it's the same ritual over over and over again but then the actual discussions surrounding like how do these things happen how can we stop and how can we do like actual policies and stuff to prevent this from happening again and i know that's a simplified image i know there's obviously a lot of people doing a lot of hard hard work to make sure that these things are set in motion and that we are talking about the real dynamics behind uh, tragic events like that and who are working like super hard to make sure they there's measures to prevent them from happening but at the same time like there's also a lot of resistance on that front especially from maybe the pro gun owners to really engage with or at least the people who are kind of affected who would be affected by talking about the thing so to say i'm not sure if that connects back to no but there's a different perspective there the the ones who are offering resistance here are obviously not the same as the ones who are showing that resistance in towards their own traumatic events. But that's, again, what I find so interesting about Nope. It seems to connect 
to all these different things without really being about maybe any specific one. But it got me thinking about a lot of different stuff about just modern society and the way we interact with trauma, tragedies, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think in that sense, it's about something very fundamental, which is our relationship to trauma and horror mm. and horrifying images specifically. And so it, that will apply to a lot of a lot of stuff. You know, I don't know if school shootings specifically are, are something that, mm. I mean, Jordan Peele's aware of them. He lives in America. I'm sure yeah. that is an element of engaging with trauma and horror in this way. I don't know if this movie is commenting on them specifically, but I think... Oh, I don't think that it is, but yeah. The connection you're seeing, mm -hmm. though, I think is true. And to to further what I was pointing to earlier mm -hmm. was like when that... I think when that kind of stuff happens, and this is my experience, might be different for other people, but aside from even the online discourse, mm -hmm. especially in real life too, there's like a lack of engaging with those events, even though we're seeing them in a very like horrifying way, you know, there's a lack of engaging with maybe the trauma related to them in a, on a personal individual level of like, it's kind of, you could tweet about that stuff all day, but especially in some environments, it would be a little mm -hmm. bit like, oh, don't be a buzzkill to talk about that stuff in real life. You know, if you're just trying to sit around eating a meal, you know, at a restaurant or something, even though like maybe it just happened. Yes. Like, I don't know. That's the interesting like disconnect that I think that scene exemplifies well is like mm -hmm. it just happened. And there they are like, you know, a couple hours later or whatever. Yeah. And they don't want to they don't want to talk about it. And not that like even talking about it is the thing that fixes it or that's the key problem, but it just captures something about how we're trying to engage with or relate to these events that is very, I think, real that maybe we don't understand completely about ourselves or our own psychology or or that goes unexamined. I don't know. Yeah, I think that it's definitely true that, that there's a difference in the way there's the spectacle that you want to talk about immediately and the kind of spectacle that you... Yeah are kind of silent about and those two can happen at the same time like there's different spaces where especially i think as you said there might be a more intimate space where you don't want to talk about it but then once you go online and you have being online is often a sort of commodification of yourself you have your social media right. profile you have a certain certain like especially if you have a few followers there's a kind of status or not status but a performance that's maybe yeah. attached to that that changes the dynamics from just being in real life and at the dinner table as you said i don't think that all this stuff is something that jordan Peele was intentionally or explicitly commenting upon but as always we're just sort of browsing for connections <laughs> that might right. be there unintentionally or just uh, coincidentally that i think is kind of the last thread mm -hmm. of note to me in this is the relationship between capturing those images and this relationship to notoriety or fame mm -hmm. or like they have this fantasy at first of like capturing the ufo and then getting the oprah shot yeah and regaining notoriety there's a quote from the cinematographer that they bring in to try to to help them capture the image that i really mm -hmm. like there and he tells he tells emerald that this dream you're chasing, the one where you end up at the top of the mountain, all eyes on you, it's the dream you never wake up from. Hmm. Uh, 
and there's there's also ideas he's he's exploring there that I think are just mm-hmm. interesting too. Yeah, I don't know. We're in this whole like vortex of images and mm-hmm. horrifying things and trying to ascend to you know, trying to capture those things and use them to our own benefit while also trying to cope with them. And that's a very complicated, like, world to be in. Mm-hmm. It's a very complicated element of our social environment right now. Yeah. And I don't know how we deal with that. I don't know what the best way to engage with it is. Mm-hmm. But it feels unsettling sometimes. And that was the that was the feeling that I think, like, this movie... Yeah. this movie captured for me and yeah i really i really like that yeah th- there's a certain absurdity to it all that is captured quite nicely and and something like there's some uplifting parts to it yes. as well I, especially in the way they the main characters they go to the security or to the store to get the security cameras and that's where they establish the relation with angel the kind of it expert who is slowly drawn into the whole adventure and they kind of bond over the whole thing together which i thought was quite nice and they there's a i I almost thought that was gonna be like i'm not sure if i would see it as a comment on the way that spectacle or the mystery of spectacle aids in community building or forming connections i'm not sure if it's explicit enough for that but there yeah there definitely was that touch of there is something out there that can unite certain people as they are kind of trying to figure it out what that is and yeah it's definitely a movie that i need to see again that i want to see again and just to to see how far all these connections go and what other layers there are and uh i'm not sure if it's this uh, my favorite movie of his but it's definitely one that's worth watching worth analyzing and uh, uh worth yeah just uh, digging into and i wonder yeah. how it stands the test of time i am curious to see how it will be digested <laughs> right? as uh, time passes on, but yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting one to me because in some ways it might, I, you know, it's impossible to know right now, but in some ways I could see mm-hmm. this one holding up for longer in the sense that people might be coming back to it even decades from now and trying to figure out like what was going on or what he was saying. It's, it's a tougher nut to crack and it has a little bit more mystery to it that sometimes sometimes movies like that have longer staying power because mm. we keep revisiting them. But we'll see. Time will tell. I like the direction he's headed. Very excited for wherever he goes next. I like that you mentioned it had some uplifting elements too. I th- it was also, I think it's also a pretty funny movie. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And there's a lot of like almost comedic or comedic kind of dark comedy elements to it which I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Even at the end when the monster is destroyed, like the way it's destroyed, I thought was very funny. Like it pops like a balloon. balloon. Yeah. And in the theater, I actually, I laughed at some of that Mm -hmm. stuff and like wanted to laugh at the end. The screening I was in, the people did not seem to find it that funny. And so I don't know if I was just the weird (laughs) one who found all this stuff really, really funny. But sometimes I think about the fact that, you know, it's Jordan Peele. And like prior to his film career, this I mean, at least the stuff I knew him for was Key and Peel. And it's mm. like that goofy guy is making yeah. these like horrifying movies. But every now and then that like yeah. sense of humor still pokes through in a way that is really <laughs> great. So yeah. Yeah, for me there was a lot of or a lot of the comedic parts were thanks to Kiki Palmer, 
who plays the sister. She had a really, I liked her vibrant energy, especially compared to uh, OJ's more sort of solemn attitude. And then later when Angel was introduced, he was also really funny as this kind of downbeat, but not really your yeah. typical IT nerd. And uh, yeah, I, I think they had a fun dynamic between the characters. Some great characters. The cinematographer who comes in, he's kind of like this cinema wraith and his voice is Mm -hmm. graveling he wears these like dark shrouded he's almost like (laughs) this wizard of cinema or something and then he goes out he like basically like self-immolates in an act of like (laughs) you know like trying to capture it's just he's the one who ends up on the mountain with all the eyes on him and uh, yeah yes yeah (laughs) and that's the night that jimmy never wakes (laughs) up from so there's definitely a a very real absurdist element to it Mm -hmm. that i very much appreciate nope Definitely worth checking out. Worth rewatching too, I think, if you watched it. And I don't think I felt like I got it more the second time, but it definitely benefits from a rewatch. There's a lot that connects and I think blossoms the second time through. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this show, be sure to check out our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can listen to all of our episodes a week early and get access to a monthly bonus episode. So far, we've talked about 1917, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Doctor Strange The Multiverse of Madness, and Drive, with more coming up soon. Right now, the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for Curiosity Stream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more, you can just follow the link in the show notes below, and we'll see you again next time.